Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastside.co. Who loves Bojangles? Okay, so half the church is lying. Who loves Bojangles? Raise your hand. Perfect. Me too. I do, I do too. My wife's still trying to get me saved from that line of thinking, but I still love it. I have right here, I did a little experiment. I have right here a Bojangles sausage biscuit. See? Observe the, the sausage I'm not going to touch it. Observe the sausage biscuit. That is three years old. It doesn't have a stitch of mold on it. I'm pretty sure you could break glass with this thing. And the sausage, it still doesn't have mold on it three years later. But you know what? Something about going through the drive-thru in the morning and getting a sausage biscuit still is appealing, is it not? Golly. Okay, sorry. That's, that's really it. There's no really big spiritual revelation in that. It's just been sitting there, and I've been waiting for three years to use it. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, one day, one day, they're going to get the courage to ask me to speak. And I'm going to use that. <laughs> so, I was asking the Lord, how can I use that in a certain... Ah, it's nothing. There's nothing there. I'm sure the Lord might give you something, but I'm sure there's something there. But anyways, cool. Well, I'm going to... Um, I've got a little bit of time, and I'm going to see what kind of mess I can get into and see what... With Pastor Alex being a good father of the house, failure is never final whether there's a father, and that's good. And we, we know that honor helps you walk through the problems that you make is willing to clean up the messes you make. So, thank you for honoring me this morning. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to walk through a process that we've been walking through, that I've been walking through for the last couple months. And um, back in February, most of you know, we had the privilege of going out west and going uh, to Bethel Church in Redding, California. And Bethel's, you know, a great place. Uh, every, you know, it seems like everywhere there's a move of God, there's always controversy. But it was really, really, there was a lot the Lord taught us out there. And uh, one of the things the last night uh, Bill Johnson talked on was the fear of man. And I'd, I've, I've heard of it, I've thought of it, but it wasn't like it was this big thing. And as over the last few months, the Lord's just really been unpacking this topic called the fear of man. And um, how many of you know that the devil is not a creator? He's not creative in any way, shape, form, or he's an imitator. He always takes what the Lord used and just create and just tries to shift it as a counterfeit. That's exactly right. But he's not creative. And so a few months ago, a couple weeks ago, whatever it was, doesn't really matter. We were, Beth and I came to Monday night prayer. And um, Nyla had said she had something she wanted to pray for us for, and that was, so we're like, okay, cool. So we're going to come to Monday Night Prayer, and we came in. And just right there, the Lord just, I mean, smoked me. And I was like, what is up with this? Lord, this is like an ambush right here. I just come in here to pray and get, get my Jesus on, and I got smoked. Does that ever happen to anybody else in here? Right. Yeah, that's just funny how that happens. And so... 
some of the things the Lord was just showing me that I was dealing with and was definitely struggling with this thing called the fear of man. And a religious spirit. And it was just like, whoa. And so um, picture in your mind, a couple of weeks ago, Don Potter was here and he was talking about a lid and he was talking about a religious spirit. And he, he really got into it in second service. And if you weren't here, go back. It was the first Sunday in June and listen to it. Second service, he really gets into it a little bit and starts addressing with it. And so I'm going to try to unpack a little bit of that. I'm going to see if we can, hopefully it comes out clear. But picture in your mind two rings like two Olympic rings almost, and they intersect. And one's the religious spirit and one's the political spirit. And where they intersect is this thing called the fear of man. The fear of man always uses manipulation as its core. It always, it, it, it's, 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 um, uh, it's, it's manipulative and it's controlling. And I don't know, I don't know if, how... How else to describe it? We're going to get into it a little bit, but the devil, when he, when he, what he likes to do with us is he likes to point out to where we lack. He always is showing the problem, but what Scripture does is shows the solution that we carry. Since we're a part of his kingdom and we live in the king's domain, we always are carrying the solution to the problem. It's just whether or not we need to go back to the Scripture and find it, right? So it's kind of like this. Say uh, you go to get your car worked on, and you work up a bill of, let's say, oh, let's just go crazy. Let's say $5,000, right? That's a problem, right? That's a problem, According to the money that's in your account. If you have $100 in your account and you have a $5,000 bill, that's an issue. You don't have what it, is, what it takes to meet the problem. But if you have a million dollars in your account, you have, what it, you have the resources available to meet the need. Every one of us in this room always have the resources available to meet the problem that's at hand. And what the fear of man likes to do is it likes to tie you into this thing, and this is a funny one, called a poverty mindset. And poverty mindset isn't that I'm poor. It's that I think that I don't have the resources. Is this making sense? I'm hope, I hope it does, so I'm going to keep going. And the Lord starts walking me through this thing of, I might look at something and go, I don't know how I'm going to achieve that, Lord, because I don't, I, don't, I don't have that. And the Lord says, well, you might personally don't have it, but I have it. And I've, given, I've made it available to you. And that's just good. That's just good news. We could probably just close up right there. You have all the resources you need available to you. All right, we'll see you next week, church. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull a couple scriptures and just walk through a couple of the fear of man and political spirit and this, that, and the other. We'll see what kind of trouble we can get into. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. You know, the thing with fear of man, I think the fear of man is one of the biggest things that cripples the church. 
Because you always have to consider the opinion of others before you make a decision. Instead of fearing the Lord only. And here's how you can tell if you have the fear of man. Let's say something comes to you. You know, the Lord gives you something. Tells you to do something. And you consider, well, what is so-and-so going to think about that? What's so-and-so going to say? Or how's that going to line up? Man, my family's going to think I'm a whack. This is what Scripture says. Anyone who loves their father, mother or father more than me, is not worthy of me. But yet he also says, honor your father and mother. Honor is always at the, as the Lord places a premium on honor. But yet, any time that we, we are thinking about doing something and we consider the opinion of others, there's a difference between opinion and counsel. And a lot of times the Lord will share something with you that is only for you that you don't need to go to others to get an opinion for or counsel on because the Lord has already said something to you. I believe in counsel. I have plenty of people that I've placed around me, not I have, but the Lord's placed around me that are good counselors that I seek out. What is that, you know, is, tell me if this line of thinking is bad pizza or this is the Lord. And they can look at me and say, there's a lot of anchovies on that. I don't think that's really good pizza. If you like anchovies, I'm sorry. I'm just not a big fan. But does that make sense? I think disappointment, resentment, and the fear of man are the three biggest cripplers in the body. If the Lord shared something with you years ago and you haven't seen it come to fruition, there's disappointment. Offense actually ties its way into disappointment and resentment. You can resent someone because they said something mean to you or this, that, and the other. And I think all these three things, those three things tie together big time. But my opinion is since the devil can't create anything, that the fear of man is actually a character trait given by the Lord. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it becomes the fear of man. Out from under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Fear of man often masquerades itself as wisdom. What, what I recognized as, it, recon, it just masqueraded itself as wisdom. What the Lord was teaching me. What I thought was wise was actually fear of man. I thought, well, Lord, I'm going to counsel. I'm over here. I'm asking so-and-so. Stephen, you think this is good? Okay, good. Well, I'm not, that's not just good enough. Then I'm going to go over here and go, what do you think about this? And then I'm going to go all through this line and try to get 100 yeses. Fear of man separates us from a lifestyle of courage. And courage is actually the nature that we have in Christ. Think about what Joshua said. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. One of the best examples of the enemy taking character traits that the Lord's given you and trying to distort them is Peter. Peter was bold, confident, courageous, but outside the Lord, 
He was stupid. <laughs> Just think with me for a second. Go back to the mountain of transfiguration. The Lord, this, this big thing's taking place, and Peter's like, goes into this, this, he just gets excited. I mean, he just really does. He gets excited and starts telling the Lord, well, they're going to build a tabernacle and this right here and this. And the Lord just, and, and the Father interrupts Peter. I love that the Father never, or Jesus, when Jesus, you know, Jesus is going through and telling his plan about, I'm going to die on the cross and this, that, and the other. And Peter's like, nope, bad plan. Nope, don't like that one. No, uh. Peter said, no, nah, I can't be that. Let me just tell you, anytime you interrupt the Lord, that's not a good plan. Don't try that one. But I love how the Father or Jesus never did condemn Peter's passion or boldness or zeal. He let it go. He just shifted his eyes. I think so oftentimes in church, we're afraid of like people being real passionate or zealous or this, that, and the other. And I was just telling Pastor Alex this other day. I heard Bill Johnson say this. Oftentimes in church, we like to try to create order and ask the Lord to come fill that order. Cemeteries are really orderly. If you want life, go to the nursery. Go to the children's area. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of just stuff. Try to bring that into order. Get with the Lord and get order for that if you want life. And I think the Father does that with us. I think he's not afraid of, of that with us. He wasn't afraid of Peter being overambitious. <laughs> Wisdom outside of the lordship of Jesus is fear of man. Look at Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest there was. But what, was, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not just being smart, not just knowing how to solve a problem. Wisdom is the ability. When, you, when I was studying this earlier, and I've been studying Samuel's, or Solomon's life, and it says that wisdom is actually the ability to perceive the ability to hear, and the ability to problem solve. The danger of this thought, though, is that some will try to mimic the absence of the fear of man, and in doing so, they'll become harsh or callous or indifferent towards other people. Remember, the Lord was showing me this just the other day. I was in the garden. I love to garden. And I was in the garden, and the Lord was, was just, this is good soil, man. This is some good soil right here. But yet there's weeds there. From the same good soil grows both weeds and the, and the thing that I'm trying to grow. And so if there's good soil for the seed, for something good from the Lord to grow there, there's also good soil for weeds to grow. You have to be diligent in working the soil. Anything the Lord gives, there's always the opportunity for the enemy to come in and distort it. All blessings from God have the ability to either finance our purpose in Him or become the thing that we yield to in worship. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago with our team night, worship team. 
And the Lord, well, the Lord can give you a gift such as money. The Lord uses money. And it's a gift. It, but it can become the thing that we yield to and worship. Look at, look at Egypt. When the, when the Israelites left Egypt and are going to the promised land, they were, they were sent with all the gold from Egypt. What a blessing. Well, what did they do with it? They made images out of it. And so all blessings have the potential to either finance our purpose in him or become the thing we worship. 1 Samuel 15. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. The Lord came to, 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 to Saul and said, I want you to go and I want you to destroy all the Amalekites. Destroy everything. That's a picture of fighting for holiness. And so he destroys everything. Well, he was supposed to. But he kept the, thing, the best things that he thought. Right? Look at verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He did everything but... Verse 21, but the people took the plunder. Remember Adam? It was the woman that did it. Remember Eve? It was the serpent. Always pointing the finger. And then verse 24, the Lord said to Samuel, well, before that, there's a really good nugget here I don't want to miss. Verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And then verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So, because... He feared man over God. We also see it with Pilate. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate's looking there, and this is the political system at its best. And you'll see it right now, especially right now with all the junk. Pilate's standing there, and he looks on to Jesus, and he finds no fault in Jesus. And he uses a symbol of washing his hands. Anytime you see anything corrupt come up in the political world, you see this. I don't want to be attached to that. I'm going to isolate myself from the problem. Political spirit always removes itself from a problem by isolation. Pilate washes his hands clean because he feared the crowds. Because they said, if you don't do it, we're going to go to Caesar. What Saul, how he postured himself, he opened, him up, he opened himself up to a realm in the spirit that he wasn't prepared for. It goes on to say that he was tormented by demons. It says the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. 
that will mess your theology right there. The Lord sent a tormenting spirit, and it says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's not that he began worshiping devils, but he opened himself up to that realm in the spirit. Every action always carries another action in the spirit. What we do in the natural is also in the spiritual. We're bound by two realities. We have the natural and then we have the spiritual. God just has the natural. It's just natural to him. And so we're always having to work this thing out. But the Lord's teaching us how to move to that one realm. What you see here is Sam, Saul was just trying to deflect onto the people. And anytime we try to give a virtuous name to a dysfunction, we legitimize the dysfunction. We not only, give, we not only legitimize it, but we give it power. We not only give it power, but we give it permission to stay and increase. When you come into agreement with it, you're, you're giving it power. Flip over to Mark 8. Is any of this making sense? I'm just trying to throw a bunch of stuff out here, and we'll see what, what, what happens. Again, I'm just um, sharing with you guys what the Lord's been walking me through the last couple of months. Yeehaw. Mark 8, and we're going to start in 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Look at verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? I was on the phone with uh, Don Potter Friday, and we were just talking, and he was like, you know, we never, dis- we never really discover anything. We just remember. The Lord brings it to remembrance because it's in there. The Lord's just bringing revelation to it. We don't discover it. The Lord brings it to the forefront. And I just thought, man, that's a good word. That was better than my response. (laughs) That's still unpacking. Here we always, uh, you know, growing up and and in other places in Scripture, we see that leaven is likened to sin. But in this passage, leaven is actually being referred to as the influence. Beware of the influence of the Pharisees and the influence of Herod. So you had a religious spirit and a political spirit. Herod represents the political spirit, which and it's humanistic. It always has man at the center of everything. It punishes by isolation and puts distance between it and the accused. Leaven, my wife loves to make bread. 
and it is so good. When I was growing up, my mama had a bread maker, and when she would make that sourdough bread, I would just about cut backflips. It was always so good. And then I married a woman who can make all that bread too. It's like, praise the Lord. Jesus, thank you. Mm, make me run. Do shout. <clears throat> but you know that leaven in the, there's a, a, you know, you put leaven in the lump and it influences the lump. And how does, the, how does it rise? By heat. Heat activates. Pressure, conflict, will always reveal the leaven that's in your heart and in your mind. Throw a problem in the middle of the room, and you'll see who's op- who operates in the religious spirit and the political spirit. In the church. In your homes. Throw a problem in the middle of the house and say, well, how do you respond to that? Do you think kingdom or are you, are, you, are you lining up in these other areas? It always reveals what, what's in our heart. I remember back in the days when we were up at Ichthus, back in the days like it was that long ago, a couple years ago when we were youth pastors, it was one of the things that we had said was, when you're squeezed and what comes out, then you know what's in your heart. When it gets tough and no one's on your side, that's when you know what's going on in your heart. Leaven is always activated by fire, pressure, and conflict. But what I love what the Lord does in this is when he does that, it, it, he doesn't bring it out in the open to shame us. When I was on the floor back there, it wasn't to shame me. It was so that it gives me the chance by confession and repentance to get right. And that's the kindness of the Lord. That's his goodness. Kindness is a gift by his goodness. That's how we, that's how we come to repentance. Let's flip over one. Uh, we got another couple passages I'm just going to reference to. Matthew 14. Verses, let's start in one. At that time, Herod, the, that thing, heard the, that the, heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. The fear of man is not a new thing. It's an age-old thing. Look at Acts 12. This is probably one of the grossest stories in Scripture. One of. It can't be the grossest, but it's one of the grossest. Verse 21. One of the cool things is resurrection is always looking for things to bring back to life. 
And right here in Acts 12, it says, verse 21, So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. And there you have it. What's crazy is Herod wasn't a believer. So why was he held accountable to giving glory to where it came from? Because the Lord gave him a gift, and his gift was to stand in front of people and, and give great speeches that moved the people. Again, any character trait that the Lord gives under the lordship of Jesus is a really good thing. But the, Lord, the, the devil will take that and manipulate it and turn it and remove it from the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it becomes nasty. The fear of man creates an appetite for approval from men. And this is a big thing. This is one of the things that we've talked about a little bit on the worship, worship team. And the Lord's just kind of not dealing, but just walking us through this a little bit. You don't need the applause of men. You don't need to be affirmed by people. And that was a great lick you had there. Man, you actually play with click today. Fantastic. Maybe with metronome, we're doing good. You know, or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, your voice just sounds great. One of the basic needs of people is affirmation. Remember when Bethany and I were going through getting ready to get married, we read the five love languages. And one of the love languages words of affirmation. And I think that's a basic need for people. But when if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you live by the applause of men, then you're going to die by it as well. If you live in honor, you'll die in honor. Any recognition you get through the applause of men, you will have to sustain it through the applause of men as well. You have to recognize where the gift comes from. By itself, without being under the Lordship of Jesus, it's just under the Lordship of Jesus. It, can, it's, it has power. And I think, I think that's a big thing. In the church, a couple years ago, you heard this thing circulating around of I was tolerated but not celebrated. You ever, have you guys ever heard that? Been tolerated but not celebrated? And that's good, but if you live by the applause of men, you'll die by it as well. And I just think... This is a timely word for us because I think where the Lord's taking our church, we have to be careful of what we're listening to. Neither political or religious spirit make good counselors. If celebration becomes the meal, if affirmation becomes the meal, It's enhancing the thing that we now place value on, and that's the virtue. Affirmation, 
the virtue is affirmation, which is fear of man. Celebration was never intended, or affirmation was never intended to be the meal. It's the spice. It's the seasoning. It's the, it's the influence. It helps. It puts on it. It adds flavor to it, right? It puts flavor on the deer. Meat. I love the vegetables. I'm a meat guy. But it's my it's in my analogy. <laughs> but so oftentimes I think we live by this thing, the applause of men. We live by affirmation. We want to be recognized because we're trying to find identity. Really, when you're striving for to be recognized, to be celebrated, to be affirmed, it's because you don't know your identity. And you see it. We get to, I don't see it a lot, praise the Lord, but you see it every now and again, especially in the worship department, because with creative people, sometimes they're a little crazy. They're my people, so I can speak about them. It's like, I go to Waffle House, so I can talk about the people at Waffle House, okay? You don't go to Waffle House, shame on you. Don't talk about us. It is vegetables. <laughs> The thing is, you'll never find your identity in the applause of men. You'll never find your identity in affirmation. Identity comes from the Father. Where there's a Father, failure is never final. I love Peter because he got ahead of himself. And there, were, there was this thing that he opened himself up to, probably the fear of man at this time, to where when it, came, when it came the time where he needed to stand up and be bold the, the, the most, he cowered because of the fear of man. But what did the Lord do? He didn't shame him with it. He comes to him on the beach. Do you love me? Yes. He brings him back into this place and he charges him with it and he, and he lifts up him to a place that you're going to build my church. Not just you're going to build my church, but the revelation the Lord's given you is what the church is going to be built on. The Lord put him in a place of honor. Where fathering is done right, it always provides identity, purpose, conviction for destiny and the knowledge that you have unlimited resources available to you. There's always enough to do what's right. My parents are here this morning. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Hey, McConnor. Yeah, let's give them a, uh, give them a clap. And one of the things that my dad taught me from an early age is do what's right. Have integrity. Might not have much, but be a person of integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. And that's always hard. You always, fight, you always fight that. At least that's been a, a challenge for me. 
in, and we're not going to go here, but in John 8 and Matthew 21, we see, well, John 8, you see where the religious leaders have caught a woman in the act of adultery. And they come and throw her at Jesus' feet and say, what are you going to do with this woman? The religious spirit always likes to show, the, show their zeal for rightness in their judgment, in the way they condemn sin. They had rocks on their hand ready to stone her because that was proving their righteousness, what they thought was their righteousness. You know, I've had, I've had several friends throughout the year, and I've, I've been one of these guys. We've all been in this place we're, because we're just all in process. But just recently, just having some friends walk through some things and that are inexcusable, but they're not unforgivable. And I can either align with the kingdom or I can align with the thought process of I'm going to isolate this person because I don't want to be attached to that thing or I can condemn them by my judgment for their sin. Neither are kingdom. If I can be a help to the problem, I'm going to stay in it. But the point that it starts interfering with my relationship with the Lord, I'm out. And so if you have a friend who is struggling with an addiction, if you can help it, pray. Stay there. Be a friend. But if it's going to affect you, explain it. Explain, man, I got to put some distance here because I don't want to fall into I don't want to fall into an old habit. I don't want to fall into an old sin. Wisdom always displays mercy and it's just and it's justice. Matthew 13:33 says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Like leaven, we need to be influencers in our cities. We need to be influencers in our families. We need to be influencers in the realms of influence the Lord has given to us. If we want to change a city and we want to usher in revival into a city, it's got to start in our homes first. Matthew 5.13 says, you're the salt of the earth. Salt influences. Salt adds flavor. Salt loses its taste. It's good for nothing, right? Tasteless is actually to make foolish. So the implied truth here is that salt with flavor is wisdom. I think right now for our church, I'm getting ready to wrap up. I got one last story and we're done. Praise the Lord. So we need to value people before they know him. We need to place high value on people. If you live in honor, die in honor. It's easy to honor someone who thinks like you. It's easy to like someone who thinks like you, walks like you, talks like you. I want to be like you. Sorry. <clears throat> Jungle book. <laughs> Squirrel. <clears throat> I made it almost the whole time, Bethany, without finding that rabbit trail. But 
but we need to value people before they know him. Because I think the kingdom will honor that. And there's a harvest coming. Honor summons people to their destiny in Christ. When you honor people, you are calling them to their destiny in Christ. Your position, just the way that you, even in a smile, calling forth nations, calling forth cities, calling forth leaders to their destiny in Christ. It says that in Luke 2.52 that the Lord grew in wisdom and in stature. If the Lord needed to grow in wisdom and in stature, I do too. In Acts 6, it says that when they were the disciples were caught, they were serving and, and doing good things. They were serving the widows, and, and it says, you know, serving food and, and, and just doing a lot of good stuff. But they said, we need to be to prayer and studying the word. They said that they picked out, they looked for people who were full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and of good reputation. The Lord places a premium on wisdom. When he has this encounter with Solomon and says, what do you want? Solomon said, wisdom, so that I can perceive the people and know how to lead them. James says, if you ask without doubting for wisdom, it will be given. But don't be double-minded. I heard this story of um, this guy who had had a, 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 some kind of accident and only had one arm. And he was really athletic before his accident, so it, it was like got the itch to do something. So he studied different things, and, and he found the sport handball. Anybody familiar with handball? Yeah, it's not for me. This little hard ball with this little piece of leather over your hand, and it hurts. Play racquetball or tennis or something. Handball, just, that just sounds painful. So he plays handball, and he goes on and becomes one of the best in the world with one hand. And they were interviewing him, and they said, why, how are you so good? Do you have one hand? And he goes, that's easy. Options. My opponent has options. I don't. I only have one hand. When you say yes to Christ, you have one hand. There's no more options on the table. It's just to do what the Lord said do. It's, there's a yes in our hearts, and it carries throughout eternity. Peter's yes in his heart changed the course of history. Let's stand. I feel like there's several things I was just going to pray for this morning. Why don't you go ahead and reach, the, reach out to the person next to you's hand, grab their hands.
first, let's, let's just start here. Let's just pray for the pre- people beside you. Just pray a blessing on them. Just go ahead and start praying for them. Just pray blessings onto their lives. Increase onto their life. Just pray, just pray for the Holy Spirit to just, just increase for dreams and visions, for words, for, to remember solutions to problems. Just begin to pray. Get bold. Get confident in it. Yeah. We just thank you, Father. Now, I think the next thing is just praying that they would only have one option, that they just choose to live with one hand, that there wouldn't be another option. They wouldn't be double-minded, but they would just live with one hand. There wouldn't, there, there wouldn't be another choice. It would just be to do what you say. Just pray that in. And now I'm just going to pray this. Father, I just speak for every person in the room. Every person in this room has at some point or will at some point deal with this topic of the fear of man. And we just rebuke it. There will, no, there will not be a fear of people. There will not be a value placed on the opinion of others. But that we will only want to do what you say do. We just shut doors where there's open doors for the enemy to come in and be deceptive. And we just shut those doors. I just feel like there's the Lord's releasing a grace right now to break addictions. And I think really the Lord's really, really releasing a grace to break a nicotine addiction. Grace is His power working in our circumstances that does more than we can do on our own. And you've tried to quit, but the Lord's saying today's the day. Today's the day. We're not going to hold anything back from you, Lord. You can have it all. It's not perfection. It's a strive and it's, it's, it's pursuing holiness. To obey is better than sacrifice. And the Lord said, today is the day. Amen. Let me bless you as you go. Father, I just, I just bless this group. I just pray, God, for encounters this week with you. I pray for dreams and visions, for encounters in the night, Father, that they would get revelation in the night, that they would wake up and write it down. God, I just pray for, uh, for, to call to their remembrance and give them solutions to problems, solutions for business. And I just pray, God, for those things because you are a good God and you have good gifts for your children. You're just. And I just pray, God, that this week we live with one hand, and we learn how to, day by day, moment by moment, living with one hand, saying yes to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, please visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.